0: Please be seated, and uh, little ones, this is your chance for the jailbreak. Where Mr. Fritz is standing back there in the plaid shirt. Oh, we got two guys in plaid, Ben and Fritz. So, uh, so make your way back there. All right. <laughs> They're a little shy today. <laughs> All right. So our, our text this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a, a passage that uh, Paul wrote to the church at uh, Corinth. And he was actually in the process of raising money for famine relief. Uh, if you, in, the, uh, in New Testament times, Corinth was a, a wealthy commercial center. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know the church in Corinth was was a a really big, really prosperous, really wealthy church. And meantime, the the place where the church had originated was in Jerusalem. And that church was undergoing a lot of persecution. Things were difficult, it was small and beleaguered. And plus there was a famine in Jerusalem. And so Paul, as an effort of unifying the church, went through all of Asia Minor to all the churches he had planted, and he raised money, asked them for support so that he could bring famine relief to the church in in Jerusalem. And so this is uh, part of Paul's pitch. He says, this is printed in your program, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you might abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, and His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way so that through us this will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. And this is God's word for God's children this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I like Thanksgiving. I look forward to it every year. Uh, And the main reason for that. Is because it's actually not a working holiday for us pastors. I remember at my old church, someone said, "Shouldn't we have a church?" My, when I was growing up, we had church on Thanksgiving. I said, "No, no, 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 we're, we're not not going to do that." So, uh, but I, I, it's a, it's a, not a working holiday, but it's it's a quintessentially American holiday. You know, we remember uh, the 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 first people who came from Europe to to settle America, and you know this is framed in different ways but one of the things to remember is those first pilgrims were actually an oppressed religious minority who were seeking a place where they could worship God according to their conscience and and have the free, and would have the freedom to worship God in the way that they understood him and and they believed approximately what our church teaches that the bible alone is our authority and Christ alone is the way of salvation and so but part of that doctrine also is that every gift we have comes from God a big part of our faith is that we need to be thankful to God for every for everything so I want to want to uh, talk today about why Thanksgiving is a biblical obligation and why people were led to make a day of it and why it should be, you know, and why actually the, the, the day of Thanksgiving is an explicitly Christian holiday. Uh, you know, uh, today sometimes if you, if, you're, if you go to a counselor or if you're, you're reading a self-help book and it, and it talks to you about how to improve your outlook in life and how to get through the difficulties you're, you're getting through, you're going through with a more sunny disposition. One of the things they'll recommend is you got to practice gratitude. You've got to become a more thankful person. And, and I think that's, that's true. One of the most psychologically helpful things any of us can do is practice gratitude, develop a discipline of being thankful for all the things that we have and, and, and to gain perspective on, on all the generosity we have. But here's the thing about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving always requires a personal recipient, you know. You can't thank luck, really. I mean, I guess you can, but it doesn't quite sound right, right? You can't thank nature. You can't thank the universe. I mean, people try to do that, but that doesn't really work. You know, Luke Skywalker goes in, and with the help of the fourth he, force, he blows up the Death Star, but then when he's flying away, he doesn't say, glory be to the force, you know, because the force is not a person who you can thank. You thank people. You can thank your mom or your dad or your kids or your friends. You can thank your boss or the people who work for you or work with you. You can thank your neighbors. And, of course, you can thank God because, you know, what Thanksgiving does, and one of the reasons it's a powerful discipline for us to practice in our personal relationships and in our spiritual life is when you give thanks to somebody, you reaffirm that personal relationship with them. You're reminded and they're reminded of the personal connection you have with one another. And so that, that's really the, the, the fruit of thanksgiving. And so when you when you go around and thank people at your office or thank people in your family for things that they've done for you or thank your neighbor or thank your friends, one of the things that it does is it rebuilds and, and, it, and it solidifies that bond that two people have. And one of the ways, you know, I think all of us struggle with prayer. I think all of us believe in prayer, but very few of us do it as much as we know we ought to, I think. And, but one of the ways we can pray more effectively, or one of the ways to easily experience God, most easily experience God, I think, is to really catalog all the ways God has blessed you and really think of all of the gifts that God has given you and to, to take some time to return thanks to God for all of those gifts. And, you know, as you do that, I think one of the supernatural things that happens is God becomes more real to us. I think one of the most practical ways to accelerate your prayer life is to just uh, develop the discipline of thanksgiving. I mean, the, the pop psychologists are right. We should practice gratitude. But you have to have a personal relationship with God or a personal relationship with whoever it is who you are expressing gratitude towards. And so, so, you know, for for us as believers, we believe that God invites us into a personal relationship and that He is a personal God. He's our Father in heaven. And so being thankful to Him is a basic and sort of an entry-level way of living that out and working that out. And so what I want to talk about today is thanksgiving and how it connects with giving and generosity and, and how these things all come together in the Christian in the Christian life. Like I mentioned, the church at Corinth was, was or the city of Corinth was a wealthy wealthy city, a commercial city. It was like New York City, you know, a, you a know, commercial center in its day. And uh, the church at Corinth was booming. You know, you read the book of 1 Corinthians and you see all the problems they had. And you wonder, how could a church, a New Testament church, have all these problems? If you read the if you read read the story of 1 Corinthians you see there there were some some crazy things going on there but part of the reason they had so many problems is because they had a lot of people in them and so Paul is like you know we need your help folks we need your help to support the church in Jerusalem these people who are struggling and suffering right now and 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 one of the things Paul says is as we give thanks or as as you give generously one of the things that's going to happen is there's going to be the reflex of thanksgiving. People will receive your gifts and then they'll give thanks to God. Look at the very last verse there. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. You know, that Paul knows, and one of the reasons Paul wants people to give generously to, uh, to, to these people in need is because he knows that that's going to provoke gratitude towards God. Look at verse 11. He says, You will be enriched in every way. And through us this will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul Paul says that that your generosity is actually going to make people praise God. Your generosity is going to, going to point people to God's love and God's provision for them. And uh, in, you know, one of the things that that strikes me about uh, Thanksgiving is you know it is a discipline, it's not something that's natural. Those of you who, who have kids, or if you've ever been a kid, one of the things you might remember, uh, some of you weren't kids, but, but that's, that's a different, an issue for another day, uh, but it, is that Thanksgiving doesn't come naturally to us. Have you noticed you don't have to teach kids to say mine? You don't have to remind kids to uh, complain when they're hungry. Uh, you don't have to tell kids they've got to demand their rights and be selfish. But you do have to remind, what you do have to remind kids is say thank you. You ought to be grateful for all the things your grandmother did, does for you. Now, uh, you, these are some nice gifts you received. Now you've got to say thank you to the people who gave them to you. And one of the things the Bible says is that it's a fundamental flaw of humanity is our lack of gratitude. Can you put that Romans 1 verse up on the screen? Look at this. Not everybody notices this, but in Romans 1, Paul is talking about, about the... the The decline of humanity. And he says, The wrath of God is being revealed in various ways. And he says, Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, they became fools. See, what's the original sin here? They knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, they didn't give thanks to him. And then they basically went crazy. Their foolish hearts were darkened and everything else fell apart because they didn't recognize the generosity of God. They didn't recognize how God had cared for them. So what the Bible says is the great problem with humanity, the root problem with humanity, you could say, is that we're not thankful enough, that we don't recognize the generosity of God and we don't express gratitude to God for all that he's given us. So but there's a flip side to that if that's our root problem one of the ways we can begin to reverse the curse and re- reverse the insanity in our lives is what do you think it is give thanks become as you become a more grateful person you know your foolish hearts will be enlightened and and, uh, and your perspective will be changed. Uh, one of the driving forces of, of change and transformation is a passion for gratitude. That's why the pop psychologists are right. You do have to practice gratitude. You just need to need somebody to practice gratitude toward. Uh, and the reason for that is because Thanksgiving reminds us of that personal connection. You know, the little kid is at, uh, you know, this is a scene you've probably seen, played, played at some point in your life where, Grandma shows up on the birth, on birthday or Christmas and gives this gift to the little kid. The little kid opens it up and it's exactly what they wanted, so what does the little kid do? Toddles over and gives grandma a big hug. Because what is that about? It's not really about the gift so much as it is about the fact that, that this grandma has a connection with this little kid. And Thanksgiving reminds us of that personal connection, it makes that personal connection that we have with various people real. When we give thanks, we celebrate the relationship, we feel the love, and we realize that we're not alone in this world. And so when we give thanks to God, the same thing happens on a cosmic and spiritual basis in all of our lives. So the second thing I want to show you here is the reality of sowing, that there's a great connection between the level of our gratitude and the level of our generosity. And that's why the the two are bound together in this this passage. Uh, Paul refers to a basic farming principle. Look at the first couple verses. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You know what's the farming principle? If you know the in those days, what would happen is every every year You'd put aside a portion of the wheat that you had harvested. You'd put it aside as seed corn for the next year. You couldn't eat that wheat. You couldn't couldn't uh, trade away that wheat because you, you'd need it for the next year. And then when planting time came, you would take that wheat, that wheat that you could make into a couple loaves of bread. And instead of making it into bread, you'd throw it into the dirt. Just just break up the ground and then throw throw it in. And if you decide to go cheap on the on your sowing. If you don't throw as much down, then what's going to happen? You're not going to get as much coming back up, right? And to someone who doesn't understand what farming is, they would say, well, why are you taking perfectly good wheat, perfectly good seeds, and just throwing it into the dirt? It seems like a waste. And why would they say that? Because they don't understand the concept of sowing, the concept of, of sowing and harvesting. And Paul says, you know, it's the same principle when it comes to a life of generosity, a life of Christian generosity. saying, saying, as we sow generously, then we will reap generously. And specifically, what is Paul referring to? Look at what he says uh, in in verse... uh, 8 and eight, 9, there he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you might abound in every good work, as it is written, He distributed freely, is given to the poor, and His righteousness endures forever. What's the primary act of sowing that we can partake in and be involved in? It's giving gifts to the poor. And you know, I, I think. From our perspective, you might think, from a business perspective, that's not very efficient. Because if you give, if you give, uh, give things to those who are poor, you know, and if they're not not managing their affairs well, it's just gonna gonna be, you know, it's just gonna be kind of a waste. Aren't there there are things that'll re- give us a better return f- on our investment? And the Bible says, no. The best investment you have is to give to the poor, because because then God sees what you're doing. Look at, look at, uh, if you could pop up the next verse, Nathan, Proverbs 19, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and God will repay him for his deed. See, it's really God to whom we give things when we give, give in his name and it's God who will, who will uh, repay us. And so that's the reality of sowing in our life. And, and, Look at how he puts this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you might abound in every good work. And then he says, He who supplies seed for the sowing, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you might be generous in every way. So, so he says there, there's a real return here. And you know, I, I think, unfortunately, some of you might have a bad taste in your mouth because people take this, this text to mean that, that well, if you, if you give generously, then, then you're going to get it back then God is going to uh, make make you rich by some other means and there's gonna be this cause and effect. But but that's not what the passage is saying. He's gonna increase the harvest of your righteousness. Maybe what he means is is you'll give generously and you'll learn that you're happier with less because of the way you see see your generosity affecting lives and you see your generosity touching lives. You know, you'll be enriched in every way. And I, I was thinking about this week, that this week, you know, we've all known of people I think, who who were very wealthy and yet very miserable. You know, shake shake your hand if head if you've known somebody like that, and sometimes, sometimes that's the reality of life. You have everything money can buy, and then you realize what you need most is something that money can't buy. And when Paul is saying you will be enriched in every way, so that you might be generous in every way, he's talking about. Uh, He's talking about something beyond just getting a return for your investment. He's talking about the way God blesses us as we, as we give and as we share. Uh, you know, the, what the Bible makes clear, what the New Testament makes clear, is the best measure of the strength of your faith is your willingness to, to give generously and your ability to give generously. The Bible says says pretty explicitly that the way we test the sincerity of our faith is by our willingness to give. And the reason for that is because Jesus said money is God's greatest competitor for our faith and for our affections. Remember Jesus said in another place, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll love one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Remember that? But so Jesus is saying that that uh, God's greatest competition, one of God's greatest competitions for your heart, for your faith, for your trust, right here and right now, is money. And one of the ways that, that you can uh, take control of money and grab it by the scruff of the neck and say, you do not control my life, is when you give it away when you give it away generously when you give it to the poor give it to those in need give it to the work of god cuz then then you're you're showing by your actions and you're showing yourself that you're actually not defined by your money or by your income you're defined by something something else and so so i, I would just challenge you guys you know wherever you're at in your faith to, to to say well how how is the competition between god and money going in my heart and in my life you know and I know this is a, a sensitive and challenging topic because I you know you know I, I think in my own life experience and I think in the, in the experience of a lot of people I talk to a lot of our challenges in our life a lot of our anxiety our fear our stress and even conflicts within our family come from issues about money because it's one of those places where the rubber meets the road you know where your treasure is that is where your heart is and so so that's that's a challenge that i think everybody faces that's a challenge that every family faces that every married couple faces when you you look at your family budget and you're trying to figure out how to make ends ends meet but it's also it's also an opportunity an opportunity to reorder our lives by a commitment to generosity cuz you're how you spend your money shows where your heart really is. That's what Jesus said, Uh, you know, and and, uh, an opportunity to prove to yourself and others that your money is not your God's and your money is not your master and your money does not define you. And so I think the challenge is, the invitation here is to try to live on a little less and to say, I'm not defined by by my income or by my assets, but I'm defined by something that's, that's much more eternal and transcendent. You know, the, the Old Testament standard was the tithe, to give 10%. And, you know, some people ask, well, well, does that still, does that still abide today? And, uh, you know, I think the, the real, the honest answer is, if I'm understanding the Bible correctly, 10% was the standard under under the law and and for us since jesus has come and we're not uh trying to earn our salvation through our giving anymore 10 percent is not 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 the ceiling it's actually the uh baseline you know it seems extreme but but uh but if jesus gave his life for us the bible says that he was rich and yet and yet he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich then then uh then to give generously should should be something that begins to come naturally as the gospel becomes real to us. Imagine for a moment, this, this is, for some of you, unfortunately, maybe this isn't too hard to imagine, but imagine your company came to you and said, you know, we've, we've hit hard times, and uh, the only way we're going to get through this is we're going to give everybody a 10% uh, pay cut. And if you want to leave, you can leave, but you know that you can't leave because there's no other options out there for you, and so you're just... Uh, just enduring this this pay cut you know you, you, you uh, would, would that destroy you personally would that destroy your family? Prob- probably not but would it would you be grumpy about it and frustrated that, that they were doing that to you uh, you know prob- probably extremely but uh, uh, you know so, so something like that happens and it just makes you grumpy but imagine the other side you just decide you know I'm going to revamp my life and so that I can be more generous, so that I can be that I so that I can can give with more abundance. Then you know what would happen? Rather than the grumpiness of having the corporation take money out of out of your hide, you'd have the joy of knowing that your generosity was really making an impact on the world around you. And that's the invitation of uh, of giving. You know, God loves a cheerful giver, and the surprise of generosity is how, how the, inve- the investments of generosity can make us happy in ways that, that we never, never imagined. And, and that leads me to the purpose of prosperity. I like this verse 11. It says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. The Bible says there's a purpose for your prosperity. There's a reason why God blesses you and me. And the reason he blesses us is so that we can be generous. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion. Like he said to Abraham in another place, he said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. God doesn't bless us just so that we can build a fortress for our family and and get, a, get our life onto easy street. He blesses us so that we can bless others. And in fact, what the Bible says is that God's blessings to us are actually a stewardship and we're responsible to him for how we use these things. I, but I like the way he says it. You're going to be made rich in every way so they can be generous on every occasion. And you know what that means to me, the way I understand that is at different stages in our life and different people with different gifts have different, different ways that they can be generous and different things that they can offer to uh, their neighbors and offer to the world. You know, some people just have time that they can donate. At certain times in your life, you might just have have time that you can donate to work and help other people. Some people have uh, have a lot of love in their hearts to give to those who are feeling loveless. Some people have expertise that they can use, maybe a professional expertise that they developed that, that they're, they, they, they can now use to help other people through their through the challenges that they have. Uh, you know, some people have money to give, and, and the way that they, they bless others is, is by giving financially. Sometimes, you know, pe- people what, what people have to offer is a listening ear, but you know, there's a lot of people who need somebody to talk to, and if somebody's around who has a listening ear, that can make all the difference to them. Sometimes you just need someone with a strong back to help you move a wardrobe or something. And, uh, you know, in, in a typical con- congregation like this, only about 10% of the people actually have a strong back anymore from all that desk sitting you do. So, so if you got one, <laughs> if, if you got one, uh, you know, you're, there's a need for you. Um, but however God has blessed you, however God has given you strength and given you resources, that is your place to bless others. And, uh, you know, one of the, the things... That, you know God is creative in this way, and God is, God, God is uh, has has a lot of variety in this way, and so He brings together different gifts, He brings together different abilities, and at different times in our lives we have different things to give, and so uh, so. God has blessed you to be a blessing. You have been made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And finally, just want to talk again about the power of our generosity. The, the fact that generosity, our generosity as it's experienced by others, reminds people of God's blessing to us. Like I say, Paul had a plan and a vision. You know, the church in the first century had a lot of problems. You know, there's sometimes there's idealism about the apostles church, how that was all perfect and we've kind of like fallen off since. But the reality is in the New Testament there were all kinds of problems in the, in the first century church. And a lot of it was the, the Christians who, who were uh, the, the, the original Christians in Jerusalem didn't know what to make of all these Gentile believers and these churches that were were happening, that were popping up in these worldly cities like Corinth and Rome and, and Philippi and, and Colossae and places like that because, because it just seemed so unbelievable to them that people could... Could really have faith in the in these far-flung areas, and so Paul, his 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 part of his mission was to unite the church, and so he was going around to Corinth and these other places and collecting money to bring to the people in Jerusalem, to uh, to support them in the midst of their famine, in the midst of their persecution, to with the hope that not that they would say thanks to the church in Corinth or not that they would say thanks to the church in Colossae, but with the hope that they would say, thanks to God, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And see, this is the opportunity of your generosity and and of my generosity, whether it's it's helping your your neighbor clear the snow from her walk or uh, giving a financial gift to someone in need or whatever it might be, is when you do this out of Christian love and out of Christian grace, it it communicates God's love in a powerful way, and it points people to the generosity of God. And so the picture of Christian generosity is a picture of the gospel. And remember what the gospel is? The gospel is the story of a generous God who sacrifices to pay all of our debts off and to come and redeem us. And the way he did that was through the life of Christ, through what we're about to celebrate. Jesus being born on the first Christmas, dying and paying the price for our sins on the first Good Friday, and then conquering and winning the victory over death on the first Easter. And so part of our profession of faith in Christ is receiving that gift. In fact, by definition, a Christian is somebody not who has achieved something great morally or spiritually or religiously, but a Christian, by definition, is someone who's been the recipient of charity. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're a recipient of a gift that was freely given to you. And it's a generous gift by a generous Jesus. And and to, to profess the Christian faith is to profess that you're dependent on his charity. Uh, and... Uh, but, but at the same time, we recognize that, that the gift of God's grace, it's free to us, not because it's free, but because it was expensive to God. You know, gifts are free to the recipient because they're paid for by someone else. And we look at the life of Christ, and we look at the sacrifice of Christ, we look at the suffering of Christ, and we look at the resurrection of Christ, and we see in these things exemplified the generosity of God for us and the power of God for us and the love of God for us and 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 so as we look at the cross we're reminded of God's generosity to us and that is the basis for our connection to him and it's just for Christians for believers in that it becomes real to us more sacrificially generous to other people. As one of the old songs puts it, Jesus paid it all and so all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow. Let's pray. Father, make this a reality to us. Help us to believe and to remember your generosity to us to become a more thankful people and then through that gratitude, and through that generosity. May we point others to your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.